0: Welcome to the Generation Y podcast. My name is Will. And I'm Jean. And this is a podcast and a community designed to help young adults thrive.
1: Because young adulting is hard, and right now it is heartbreaking and harrowing. I know that you guys have a lot of questions, and so do we. So today we're having a conversation to address some of those.
0: Over the past week, we've seen riots and protests erupt in 140 cities in the U.S. And today we're joined by author, speaker, and pastor Gerald Fatiomi to talk about why now and what our response should be. This is the Generation Y podcast. Gerald, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here with
2: us. Come on. Thanks for having me. Y'all, that intro was so good. I'm like, I feel like we could just call the whole Let's podcast. Just
0: call it- <laughs> oh, man. Gerald, how are you,
2: man? Oh man, you know that is a hard question. Yes. To answer,
1: so no. We should uh, we should give you multiple choices. Right.
2: I am I am good, tired, hurting, yes. frustrating. I yeah. mean, I'm experiencing all of humanity in one yeah one one season. I Gosh. imagine. Ugh. I
0: imagine Gerald, you have a fascinating story. I, I remember one time I was sitting, I was hearing you speak for the first time. It was a couple years ago. And uh, and you were just sharing your story. And I just remember like, who is this guy? And I was like, and it doesn't even make sense that you would be um, that you would come out of that on the other side the way that you have. Um, So I would love it. And if you'd be willing to share some of that story um, that you maybe some that you shared that day and kind of how you got to where you are.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, thank y'all for having me on. It really is an honor uh, to get to, to spend some time with y'all. Uh, I feel like anyone listening should just know that my lens is going to be a Christian lens, whether you believe in Jesus or not, like that's yeah. a whole other conversation for another time. But it's hard for me to tell my story or talk about my truth or talk about the way that I see the world without talking about Jesus as a part of that. So sure. um, my story is unique. It's difficult. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta. Both of my parents were never married. Um, my dad left in the third grade. My mom is a diagnosed schizophrenic, which led to seasons of homelessness and uh, foster care for me at a young age. Um, my mom eventually at the age of 16 went to jail for aggravated stalking, um, just not on her medication. Uh, by the way, my mom's on her medicine. She has a dual master's degree. She's extremely bright, but when she's not on her medication, um, she has a hard time understanding the realities of the world that we're in. And so a crazy set of circumstances led her to to jail at the age of 16 for me. So at 16 uh, I started uh, hanging out with a different group of people than I did before I finished high school and became a club promoter in the city of Atlanta uh, through parties all over the city with some pretty big names, celebrity people and thought life was going really well. Yeah. that for three years and in the third year I had three friends who were murdered. One friend commit suicide. And that's what led me to the church. That's what led me to ask some some pretty serious questions about my life uh, and what it would be and what it would count for at the end of it. Um, and so I went to North Point Community Church here in Atlanta, uh, made a decision to follow Jesus there, uh, started attending the church as, as uh, an attendee, became a volunteer, eventually got hired on staff, met my wife at the church, uh, which on. was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> She definitely ignored me, and uh, <laughs> called her to ask her on a date. She said she never got my phone call, but she just sent me the voicemail because she didn't want to. go out That's with me. right. <laughs> yeah. but then she went on the date, and she realized, what am I doing? Like, why would Obviously. I? Obviously, that's right. <laughs> what, what, do you remember what your first What a fool I've been! Do you remember your first date? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We went to uh, Roswell Mill. Um, she was so my wife cheered for the Falcons for four years. Uh-huh. She also taught some like fitness uh, classes as well. Um, and so she was teaching a class. She had just finished the class, so she did her hair and makeup, but showed up in like leggings and like, <laughs> she, like she did not want to go out with me at all. right? Was, all right, and I'm here I am with like a button down on like jeans. oh, button, if, oh if you no. know me at all. You know that like, I would rather wear a hoodie. Hat and, and hoodie, over. come on. Like, that's it. Like all day. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, like trying to put a good foot forward. And so we're at Roswell Mill. She doesn't drink coffee. So I got her a drink from Starbucks, like a tea. And we just sat by the by the waterfall and talked for a while and laughed together and just had an amazing time. Uh and after that she knew, you know, I was still like on the fence trying to figure out like what I felt, you know, but right. she was like this is the one this is oh man
1: <laughs> i love that oh, awesome. here's the
2: podcast she will not tell that version <laughs> before, i have the podcast right now That's well, right. That's and, right. and
1: here's the thing uh and i can't speak for all girls but if we put on any makeup at all we're we're kind of interested
0: oh okay hey she you had know? to keep you guessing though you know
1: <laughs> so, so yeah we,
2: uh, we met at north point which was great um got married a year after meeting so we just knew wow. yeah but then the first year of marriage was really tough not in like the traditional sense people say like the first year of marriage is hard but they really mean like you're trying to figure each other out and you still like leave your socks in places that she mm-hmm. doesn't like and that's that wasn't <laughs> the hard for us like all oh, that was fun um in the first year of our marriage my wife's dad took his own life and um unexpectedly and uh, that made for a really really hard season for us about a month after that happened my mom went back to jail and so, oh my, my wife's first time meeting my mom was me bailing my mom out of jail. Um, wow! So, yeah, so that made for a really hard first year, um, but it bonded us together in a really unique way, um, and we're better for it. And then, as of recent, we had identical twin baby girls. So That's right. Amazing! So uh, gorgeous. Yeah, they are. They are too pretty for their own good, to be honest. That's right.
1: <laughs> they they really are, and they are growing so fast.
2: Yeah,
0: hey, can we just put them on? That would be great if we can. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah i mean if,
0: if
2: you want someone to scream in your ear if there's for a lull <laughs> in the,
0: if there's a lull in the conversation we'll just call one of them now that <laughs> that even was an interesting experience for you guys uh having those those uh two little ones tell us about that
2: yeah 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 so they were born during the coronavirus pandemic uh, i'd just come back from a work trip and uh wasn't feeling super great so went to the hospital, Got the coronavirus test, was told 48 hours till I got results. And in the middle of the 48 hours, my wife went into labor. No,
1: no, no. That is so hard. So
2: you didn't get to be there. Yeah, I missed it. So I missed the birth of my kids. (sighs) My wife couldn't hold our kids when they were first born because of coronavirus. Uh, We saw them for two days and then the NICU shut down for indefinitely. So we didn't see them for another. So the first month of their life, we saw them for four days. (laughs) Oh Oh, my gosh.
1: gosh.
2: Yeah. bro what are you doing here you should be with <laughs> them right now
1: <laughs>
0: man that that gerald your story it really is is amazing it's uh it's unlikely that that you would be i mean that you would come out of that as uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't dare to say unscathed but uh you're in one piece and yeah, most and people
1: just don't have the resilience that required to just go from blow yeah. to blow
2: yeah yeah, it is a it is a hard road for sure. I would not wish it on anyone. Um, but, you know, part of what we'll talk about later on is there's a way to bounce back from adversity and there's right. a way to be because of it. And, you know, like I like I mentioned from the beginning, my framework, right? Like, had I not had a faith to lean on in the middle of all of that, yeah. I would not, like this conversation would not be happening. Right?
0: right? Yeah, we're going to dig into a little bit more of that and talk about uh, your upcoming book. But also just, Joe, I would love to talk a, a little bit About just kind of the current state of things right now. Um, It seems like there has been this social awakening that has been happening. We've seen these protests happening all over uh, following the death of George Floyd. We've seen social media movements. We've seen all sorts of things. And I'm interested, as someone who represents a minority in America, why now?
2: Yeah. Uh, a couple of reasons. I think Will Smith is coined for saying this. I'm not sure if he was the first person to say it or not, but, um, he said that racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. Yep. And so yeah. technology I think is a huge part of this. Uh, it's the fact that when injustice happens, there's people around who can pull out a phone and stories of old that were probably true. Um, there was no evidence to prove what right. actually happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I immediately go to the story of Emmett Till and had there been some people with cameras who could have recorded it, maybe things wouldn't have gone the way that they did. And yeah. so um, technology is a huge help in this. I think why now um, is the unfortunate reality of coronavirus is that we are all at home, glued to social media mm-hmm. and to television. Um, stories like this have happened in in years recent and they've been ignored. Right. Um, The only reason I think it's not being ignored is because people don't have a choice but to see it. You can't turn on the news and not see it. And you're at home right now and you have to watch the news, right? Like uh, you can't get on social media and not see it. And everyone right now is on social media. Um, Where if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I don't know that people would be as aware, as in tuned um, or honestly have as much time or energy to give to it as they do right now. So, yeah, uh, Yeah. it's unfortunate the effect that coronavirus has had on our world. It may be fortunate the effect that it's having um, on our country as it relates to the black community.
0: Well, that's that's something that's interesting to me, because there are some people who have responded with. Hope in the situation that they've said that they're hopeful because of the way that people have responded. In your opinion, is that being overly optimistic?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think hope is never overly optimistic, right? Like we should always be hopeful for a better future. Um, I think I will be more hopeful when I see policy change. I think I'll be more hopeful. Um, when systems are destroyed and then rebuilt in a way, um, that aren't systematically oppressive, you know, I think I'll be more hopeful then. Um, but hope is always on the horizon and the moment that we lose hope, then it's over, you know, the story's over. And so, I think we have to hold on to hope. I think we have to believe that things are going to change. Um, but I think there's some things that need to happen for us to be a little bit more hopeful than we have been.
0: Gerald, I saw a post this week that said racism is so American that when you protest it, people think you're protesting America. As a country where it seems like racism is so woven into our fabric, what should the relationship between patriotism and humanity be?
2: Yeah, that's really great. Um, I want to preface this by saying I love our country. Yeah, I think we live in the greatest country in the world, Um, but I am also of the belief that, I'm going to use a buzzword here for a minute, Um, I'm of the belief that things cannot be great if we don't do the work to make them great, and great things aren't built on the back of broken people, and so in order for things to really be great, we have to take the time to, to call out the brokenness in our country and then do the work to fix it. I don't know anything that's great. I don't know any company, any product, any organization, any person, any athlete, any anything that's great that doesn't change over time. I mean, if you think of yeah. any company, they have to adapt to society. To society, They have to be willing to change and be flexible and get rid of old products so that they can introduce new products, right? Get rid of old ideals so they can introduce new ideals. And so if our country is going to be great. We have to be willing to change. Um, but then I also think you know, patriotism is a love of country, right? And so to love your country means to care for every aspect of your country. And I, I just have to take it to a human level, right? If we're friends and I say that I love you, but I see things that are broken in you and I'm not willing to help you heal them or I'm not willing to help you make them right. Or if I see a blind spot that you don't see and I'm not a good enough friend to tell you, I would argue that that's not love. I'd argue that that's right. convenience, right? Yeah. And so- if it's love, then love requires us to dig in and go, hey, that's broken. And I love you so much that I can't let you stay that way. Right. So I would hope that our country, that the, that the citizens of our country um, would choose humanity first and patriotism second, um, because what makes our country so great is that it's a country of immigrants, that's decided to be a melting pot for the benefit of each other, and if some population of our country is not being treated like humans, then our country ceases to be great. And so you can't be patriotic without first caring about humans.
1: Ooh, come on. <laughs> That's, that was so well said.
2: How should we then,
0: if this change is something that we should strive toward, this move toward toward progression and change, how should we be responding? Particularly yep. for, I mean, for a lot of non-white communities. I'm sorry, uh, non-minority communities.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll first say this, because the the natural feeling is, hey, that's not me. Right. I don't feel that way. I don't believe those things. I'm not going to act in that way. And essentially what we're saying when we say that is, hey, that's not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me affirm you in saying that. <laughs> it is not your fault. <laughs>
1: No one said that <laughs>
2: yeah, no one said it. I agree. It is your responsibility,
1: right? And wow.
2: just because it's not your fault does not mean it's not your responsibility. Yes. Uh, again, through my lens as a Christian, if you carry that banner over your life, you cannot look at a, an oppressed people group and choose not to care. It's yeah. unbiblical, right? right. Um, let's take faith off the table as an American You cannot value the benefit of America while other people are devalued in the country. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility, right? Let's take American off the table as a human. If you wouldn't want someone to do it to you, then it shouldn't be okay with it being done to someone else, right? So regardless of what label you put on yourself, responsibility is not absolved,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
2: It's not your fault it is your responsibility. Right. The second you decide that that's true, it changes your response. I don't have to tell you how you should respond. If you decide it's your responsibility, then you're going to respond as such and our country will look different. If more people just decided, I will be responsible for what happens in this country, regardless of whether or not it was my fault, everything changes in a moment. But before that can happen, it starts with us looking in the mirror and seeing our own brokenness and realizing that the brokenness is the brokenness in our country is just a result of broken people, yes. right? And so we have to go on a journey towards wholeness. We have to go on a journey towards wellness um, so that we can see when we're in the wrong and so that we can see other people's humanity. And when we fix our brokenness, then we can slowly start to fix the brokenness in, in our yeah. world as well. Yes. I-, I
1: think that there is this fear, um, especially for white people, that sometimes it seems that white people are more afraid of being called racist than actually being racist Mm -hmm. Um, and that by acknowledging that they have been racist, that they are admitting that they have no goodness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the essence of racism is pride, right? Like, yes, that's what it boils down to if you are racist, it's because you're so proud that you think you're better than another race just because of the color of your skin, right? If you refuse to acknowledge your prejudice, it's because you're too proud to be wrong, right? Right. And so Mm -hmm. second we deal with pride, we've dealt with the root of racism. right? And if we can change pride to humility and go, Hey, I'm not going to think so much about me, right? Like humility isn't thinking of yourself le- less or it's humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? right. Right. And so you don't have to be a bad person, but you do have to take your eyes off of you. Mm-hmm. And if you'll take your eyes off of you and realize there's things to be learned from people of other races, maybe I didn't have all of this. Right. Um, there's areas and spaces that I can grow and you replace pride with humility. You immediately start working at the root of racism. Right. It's pride. That's the issue. You know.
0: Yeah. It seems like there are two types of racist people, right? So one is people who are overtly racist and are open about it. And then the other is sort of this group of people who are unintentionally racist, who have underlying prejudices because of their privilege, but they're unwilling to admit that they have those prejudices. And I would dare say that that second group is more dangerous because it lets those prejudices go unchecked.
2: So can I can I give people a question to help them identify if they Yeah, please do. Racism? Ask yourself this question and then also ask ask this question about your parents, right? Um if if your son or daughter, so if you don't have kids just imagine you did, brought home a black boyfriend or girlfriend, what's your gut reaction? And if there is one, there's probably some racism in you that you need to work through. Yeah. If your parents would have an issue with you coming home with a Black boyfriend or girlfriend, there's some racism in there. Mm -hmm. And what we like to say is, no, 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 they're not racist. It's just the way they grew up. Right. The way they grew up is racist.
1: (laughs) So they grew up racist. (laughs) Oh my
2: gosh.
1: uh, It's so simple. It's so simple when you put it like that. But man, we our little tiny feelings. Like we just get so caught up in them and so concerned. Oh our little feelings. Like like we're so afraid to look inside and be like, oh, it's really murky in there oh i'm a person oh i fell i fell into a way of being and i'm not proud of it like i this is the thing about doing the work that's literally like yes it might mean dismantling the identity you thought you had in order to look inside and see these things but what are you even here for what? Why are you? Right. What are you doing with your time on this earth if yes. you don't want to examine anything about yeah. yourself and it's going to come to the detriment of other people?
0: Yeah, if you're not looking, like you, I saw you mentioned uh, earlier, like everything that it, that is good and great, it progresses and it grows and it mm-hmm. changes, and that is true with human evolution too. Our evolutionary change um, throughout our life, like I'm not the person that I was five years ago. I'm yeah. not the person that I'm going to be five years from now. And I'm looking yeah. forward at that person five years from now. And I hope that he's different. You know, I yeah. hope that he is better. I hope that it's improved. Just like I hope that, you know, my Mac operating system is <laughs> updated. Yeah, right. Like I, right. <laughs> I hope I don't have to use dongles in a yeah. year from now. And, it, <laughs> you know? and
1: accepting that for that change to happen, it's probably going to hurt a little.
0: But the thing is, yeah, looking back, like even at our, you know, our story, I, I was incredibly different. Our story is, you know, briefly was that we were just total polar opposites when we first met and I had a lot of things in my life that had gone unchecked for a long time. I voted the way that my parents voted. I believed the exact version of faith that I was taught as a child that you know whoever just happened to be teaching me that Sunday and Sunday school, that's what stuck. you know I had never examined things for my own and say, hey why is it why is this my faith or is it my parents or is it my old past or is this is this you know my morality or is this theirs and being willing to do that,
2: Molded me into a person that I'm more proud of than yeah, I ever have. Been. But
1: it's a humiliating process. Yes. And a good. Well, one. How abs-
2: <laughs> how absurd is it that we get offended when people say you've changed? Well, yeah. What yeah. <laughs> changed? I'll Gerald. tell
1: you why. Because they go, "You've changed." Well, it's just you no. go. I don't love your tone. It's I, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: It's like this assumption that you don't need improvement in your current state, and right. if you're
2: perfect. By
0: all means, <laughs> but that's not me. <laughs> yeah.
2: I Are think you? I'm just going to start responding in the same tone going, I know.
1: <laughs> like, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, I don't know if it was Brene Brown or um I forget who, but they said when somebody says you've changed that you should just say thank you. Like no yes. matter how they, no matter what the tone is. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. I, and I, and the, the hard part is looking back at the way you used to be, the the things you used to believe, the people you used to vote for, the leaders you used to follow, The you know, is looking back at that and, and with shame. And we shouldn't do that. You know, don't look back and 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 say there was a better way and I was a product of that. But now I am responsible for how I move moving forward.
1: Yeah. And shame is a natural reaction here. And it's not to say that shame can't be productive at all, but prolonged shame just leads to hiding. And people don't tend to talk about what they're ashamed of. And we need to be talking about this.
0: So, Gerald, obviously, as a, as a pastor and a person who has um, that faith is an incredibly informing and crucial piece of your life. I'm interested two parts to this question. What role and what responsibility does mm-hmm. the church or does organized religion play into all of this?
2: yeah so uh we love to talk about MLK and our country, and rightfully so, right? Like, what a great leader, phenomenal man, um, I mean, leveraged his life, his literal, very life um, for the benefit of people who he had not seen yet, right? like I am yeah. living I am living in the sacrifice of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, we often think of Martin Luther King as a nonviolent, peaceful activist, which is an accurate description of who he was he was also a pastor and a theologian, right? He was actually Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. right? Reverend was his first title. He was a a Christian, he was a pastor. Um, So when you look back at the civil rights movement, which is arguably the most effective social justice movement in the history of the world, right? Like you could put apartheid up there with it, but those two are hand in hand. Um, That movement was led by the church. In every picture, you see clergymen on the front line. And in some pictures, clergymen of both races, right? Um, the church modeled the the need for humans to be treated as equals. The church modeled what civil disobedience looked like. The church modeled the way forward for effective change. Um, the church today has become safer, I'll <laughs> say. That's a nice, nice way to put that it. That
1: is very nice.
2: Um, and I I think it's easier as a Christian to sit at home and point a finger of judgment at people who are rioting when in actuality, the finger of judgment should be pointed towards ourselves because we should have been the one who organized the protests in the first place. and had we organized it and prayed ahead of time and set expectations for what was going to happen. Of course, there's going to be agitators in every crowd. Um, but the the narrative would probably look a little bit different had the church been leading the way. And so, um, that's what I think. I think the church should be on the forefront of this. We If we believe um, that we have all been created equal in the image of God, then we should put our time, resources, talent, staff, everything that we have towards making sure that that narrative remains true. Um, so yeah, that's my thought.
1: Gerald, I was raised in the church, and so I know a lot of people who identify as Christians but live nothing like Jesus. I don't think anybody would look at Jesus' life and say that he was for inequality. Where do you think the thread got lost?
2: That's a great question. I wish, I wish I knew so I could go back and and try my best to repair it uh, (laughs) and, and lead people towards repairing it. I'll just say this, um, the basis of the Christian faith is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. So it is very possible for you to really be a Christian and really be wrong. Yeah. Right. Like it's very possible for that to be the case. I am a Christian, I am wrong in a lot of areas of my life that honestly, I may not even know that I'm wrong in right now. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict me and to show me the areas that I need to change and that my heart needs to change. And then I have to make the decision even with conviction to repent, which repent is like a super churchy word. So if you're listening, you're like, whoa, where are we going right now? (laughs) So let me clarify like what repentance actually is. And then this will make it like not as complex and feel not as weird. Repentance comes from a Greek word, metanoia. The Greek word metanoia literally just means a change of mind. So essentially the idea is I realize that I'm wrong. I'm going to change my mind and not live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, the church Christians have a responsibility to allow God to show them the places that they're wrong and then to repent, metanoia, to change their mind and go, I am now going to live in response to what I realize is right. And so I don't know where things got lost, but I know how we can change it. I know how we can move forward as we let the spirit of God convict our hearts and go, dang it, I was wrong on this one. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to change my mind. And from this day forward, I'm going to live different. I mean, it's what you were just saying. We don't have to look back with shame. We can look forward into a glorious future, knowing that that our past is the past and there's there are better days ahead, mm-hmm. but the days don't get better ahead if we're not willing to change on the way there. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: I don't know if
0: there is an answer to this question, but what changes first, your heart or your mind?
2: Huh. I would say your heart has to change first. Your heart has to break towards an issue first. But it's interesting because in order for your heart to change, you have to engage your mind because you can't change your heart if you're not aware of what's going on. Yeah. And so you have to be the type of person who's willing to read the books, to do the research, to do the understanding, yeah. to not just do a quick Google search and be like, look, there's stats. Black people kill more black people than white people kill black people and police only kill a thousand people a year. So this isn't even really an issue. Yeah, OK, cool. Black people right. do kill black people one, black people are aware of that. We also have organizations, national organizations to fight that. Like we're fully aware that that's an issue. Right. There's also systemic racism that's caused us to be people of poverty. And we all know that violent crime is actually more directly correlated to poverty than it is right. to race. And so if you right. actually do the work, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Engage your mind, you realize, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's a system that created the issues in the first place. Yeah. And once I can see the system, then my heart has to break for the system. Yes. But then to my mind where a mind goes now mm-hmm. i have to do something different so it all comes back to the mind it's
0: almost like the mind is this gateway to the heart that's like yeah. hey I, at least i have to be open to it first and then yep. it's like if you're not then eventually like it's almost like the heart changes at rock bottom you know like you mm. and oh, ho- hopefully if
1: that's not true but i would honestly call this probably a rock bottom moment um no,
0: when i watched the video of, of you know the of george floyd I, it, my heart, it was, it was in, it was, I struggled to find words for it. Like it hurt, it hurt me. I had a visceral, painful reaction watching that. Um, But my mind had to be willing to go and open it and search for it and, and watch it.
2: What you said about your heart breaking when you watched the video, like I did not realize this the first time that I watched it, but as I, as I've allowed my mind to do more research, it's broken my heart even more. Um, there's a moment in the video where he cries out for his mom i mean his his mom died two years before i know right so like gosh like i'm even getting emotional just saying that to be at such a place where you're begging for someone who isn't here anymore i know To watch that and not break as a human Mm -mm. i just can't understand you know like i can't understand it
1: I don't think that human beings were ever supposed to like witness or experience that kind of violence. It's like our hearts don't know what to do with that.
0: Yeah, I think the heart is an incredibly powerful motivator. I mean, you would do things for love. Like you, I mean, the movie Taken comes to mind, where this guy's you know his daughter's taken, and he loves her, and he would go to the ends of the earth to do anything necessary to protect him. We would do anything for things that we love. What if we loved our neighbor? What yeah. if we actually did? And the, and let our heart be the motivator that it should be. Uh, uh, well, I wanna get onto your book, uh, Gerald, but before you do, I've got one more question just on this. Do you feel like this change is a change that's gonna come from a massive policy shift or is this a one by one heart change conversation after conversation?
2: Uh, it depends on what you're asking is gonna change. <laughs> Is racism in America going to change because of a policy shift? Absolutely not. That's a one by one by one. And I don't think anyone will be alive to see that happen. I think that'll be in a new reality that we see, uh, hate not exist. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not not holding my breath on that. I am hoping that the people in my direct sphere one by one will begin to change. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be hopeful that that will happen for every person in all of humanity before the world ends. I just can't see that happening. Um, I think in terms of systemic racism, that can change with policy shifts. And I, I think of the civil rights movement and the desegregation of buses and schools and the reality that there are still people today who would prefer things to be segregated their hearts have not changed. Mm -mm. And I will be candid. Most pastors would not say this, especially not in a public forum, but I'm just going to say it because it's how I feel right now. I don't really care if their heart changes because the policy changed and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm. And so my girls, my twin girls will have an equal education to their white counterparts because a policy change that made that possible yeah. regardless of the hearts of the people who may be parenting the other kids who are going to the school and so for me do i pray daily that the hearts of people will change yes but i fight vigorously for policy to change because if policy can change your heart can move slower but if policy doesn't change your broken heart is killing people who look like me, and I can't allow that to happen anymore. Hmm. I,
0: right, we appreciate. Just thank you for being vulnerable with us and being candid there. And I want to get on to um, to what you're doing now. And it, you have you always have been a mover and a shaker. I feel like every time I look at your Instagram, you're creating something new. You're fighting for a new group of people. Um, it's incredibly inspiring and admirable. You just wrote a book called "When Life." Gives You Lemons, uh, a book for navigating seasons of adversity. Would you tell us about that?
2: Yeah. You no, know, I mentioned earlier in the episode, like all of the adversity that I've faced in my life. Most of my life, I haven't handled it well. Um, as of recent, though, I've learned some things that have helped me navigate the seasons better. You know, one of the, the things that I hate that people say is that time heals all. Y'all, y'all know that expression. Oh, yeah. So, um, that is a load of crap. That's time uh, yeah. doesn't heal anything no. not at all. Like, and we all know that. We know people who have held grudges their entire life and then they die and they're like, crap, I wish I would have had that conversation. Yes. So time didn't heal anything in that scenario. Time doesn't heal anything at all. What What heals is change over time, yeah. right? So I say that, let's pull that, that anal- analogy over to adversity. Adversity in and of itself is not gonna grow you, right? We've seen other people go through really hard things and become worse because of the adversity that they're facing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: However, if you do the work and in the context of the book, if you slow down and ask the right questions, adversity can actually be the greatest tool for growth, right? My friend, Marquise Cox, uh, he says it like this. He says, sometimes the biggest wrench in your plans is the greatest tool for God to use. And so yeah. if we'll slow down for long enough, the adversity that we face, if we ask the right questions and if we'll lean in the right ways, and if we'll do the work, it actually helps grow us into a more mature and complete person. And so that's the concept of the book. Hey, here are three questions that if you'll slow down and ask, you can get the most out of the adversity that comes your yeah. way.
0: Okay. Can you give us a Generation Y sneak peek of those three questions, or, or do they have to read the book for those?
2: I will give you question number one. Oh, okay. okay. All right.
1: 33%. Here we go.
2: So the first question is, what's in my control? Uh, So I use this this illustration. Um, I heard a pastor named Ben Stewart give this illustration. He was actually quoting a Marine um, who talked about what's called the circle of control. Um, So if you close your eyes, just imagine there's two circles, right? There's an exterior circle and an interior circle. The exterior circle, let's just paint it yellow lemons, you know? Uh,
1: (laughs) Sure. let's,
2: Let's label that exterior circle the circle of concern, right? then in the interior circle, you have a white circle. Let's label that circle the circle of control. When you buy the book, you don't have to imagine it. You can just see it. It's <laughs> like that. So you have concern, you have control. In every season of adversity, both of those things are present, right? Um, what we tend to do is live in the circle of concern. This is where Mm -hmm. uh surface level anxiety lives right these are the things that keep me up late at night these are the things that i don't know what to do about these are the things that i'm worried may happen or may not happen uh this is these are the feelings that i'm worried they may or may not have about me right like these are all the things that worry us when the marine talked about it you talk about in the context of war right um i could die i could never see my family again i could never see my wife again i could lead our troops in the wrong direction right so there's all these things that are concerning us that's where we like to live What's necessary in order for us to grow, and what's necessary in order for us to be more mature, more complete, but honestly, what's necessary for peace in a season of adversity, is to learn the habit of releasing our our concerns and moving inward to the circle of control and doing the things that are in our control. Right. So the way we practically exercise, or the way we practically um, explain this in the book, there's an exercise at the end of this chapter, chapter three, um, that asks you to write out all of the things that are concerning you right now. And grab another colored pen and circle all the things that you've written down that are in your control. Mm. Now what you've done is you've separated control versus concern. So now the things that you've circled, you can actually go and create action steps right. for it and do something practical about so good. All of the things that are left uncircle are things that are concerning you. Uh, as a Christian, my belief is you release those things to God. You go, hey, I can't control these, but you can. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is going to work out but you do. So I'm going to give these things to you. I'm going to do what's in my control. And as a result, what I end up with is more peace. Now I want to be very, very clear. This is not my idea. I'm not that smart. These are the (laughs) words of Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And when you do, you get the peace of Christ that will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul is going, release your anxiety, release your concerns to God, do what's in your control, and you will more peace in seasons of adversity and so that's the first question is to identify what's in my control uh, and hopefully that allows us to move forward yeah that's so
1: that's so practical and and helpful and um gerald i would love if you would be willing to speak into this for our for our white listeners um as far as uh control goes yeah um what can they do that is actually helpful to channel the the shock and the um the anger and the outrage and channel it into something that's constructive and helpful?
2: Yeah. Gene, I'm really glad that you asked that question. So after I'd finished, I'd finished writing the book right around the time that the Ahmaud Aubrey case happened and then Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd. And I really had to wrestle with myself. Uh, these are obvious seasons of adversity, right? Are the three questions that I wrote in the book applicable to what we're going through right now? Because if they're not, then what I wrote is a load of crap and I should not sell it to anyone. Well, we right? only so, know the
0: first one. So we're not- <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. So so I literally had to process the questions. Okay, so so what's in my control? Essentially what you're asking is how does what's in my control apply to the situation of race as a white person who you know who hasn't been involved particularly with that issue? Here's what's in your control: how you use your voice, where you spend your money, how you use your time, the conversations that you have there are a lot that's in our control, right? Mm-hmm. There are also things that are concerning us. Is this ever going to end? Uh, could this be one of my friends? That's Could it be someone right. that I, I know personally that I love? Um, am I going to be judged? Are people going to think that, I, right? So concern and control are definitely present, right? but the things that are in our control are how we respond, right? And so go find great organizations that you can invest your money into. I always tell people, you can tell me what you're what you're passionate about, but if you show me your bank account, then I'll really know what you're. About. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let me see those uh, receipts. A lot of golf in there.
2: I don't know. <laughs> right, right. And if you look at my bet, so this is not me pointing a finger. If you look at my bank account, you would go, Gerald. You seem to be more passionate about Nike than any of the other things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot of shoes, right? And so. Um, EJI is a great organization, the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh-huh. Um, they are working on criminal reform. They they work to free incarcerated men and women who've been falsely incarcerated. Um, they work on police uh, reform and uh, government reform. And so they're a great organization that I've pointed people to. Um, there's a Thurgood Marshall uh, education uh, fund that helps minority students with co- with uh, college scholarships if they're going to an HBCU. Um, and so that's another thing. 34% of African-Americans graduate with more debt um, than our white brothers and sisters in college. And so that's another way to help with scholarships. And yeah. so I think you pause and you ask the, the question, with this circumstance, there's a lot that's not in your control. But what is, is whether you go read a book or not. What is is if you invest some money or not? What is is if you sit down and have a conversation uh, with your with your friends of color and ask them about their experience and believe them yeah. when you ask. Yeah, like, believe what you're saying is true.
0: Yeah, and hey, we will also include links to all of those mm-hmm. things that you mentioned in our show notes, so that as you're listening, you can go down and access access some of those things.
1: And Gerald, um, one last thing for all of our um, that's you just spoke into um, like what are constructive things that our white listeners can do. For our Black listeners and and our listeners of color, what would you, what words do you have? What advice do you have for them in this season?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that we keep having to have this conversation. I'm sorry that every time you watch the news, you don't see just George Floyd. You see a family member that could be next. I am sorry that things have not changed fast enough. Um, I'm sorry that you're hurting is is the first thing that I would say. Um, but then I would also say to us, this is a chapter in the story and we watched a generation turn the page and write a new story for us. And unfortunately, they weren't able to write a complete story. They haven't been able to change everything in the way that we would like. Um, but the baton has been handed to us and now we get to turn the page and write a new story for our kids. And so... Um, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of writing a better story for Wesley and for Zoe, um, and I hope that you'll join me in that. Yeah. That's awesome, Gerald.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything that you haven't said yet that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Other than the fact that this is probably the best podcast interview I've, uh, I've ever.
1: Done. Oh, yay! And
2: for the record, I'm on a podcast tour right now. I've done 35 podcasts in two. weeks. Man.
1: Oh my awesome. god. We're gonna so. save this clip. And we're gonna. <laughs> <and> we're gonna... <laughs> Gerald said
0: with the best. Yeah, listen, he <laughs> said, it's, it's going to be in our bio. Gerald Vadiomi approved.
1: That's awesome.
0: Um, but Gerald, thanks again. And where can our listeners
2: find more of you? Thanks for having me. Uh, if you guys want to get connected to the book or to me, you can just go to thelemonbook.com. Uh, and some resources are available there and all of my contact is available, available there as well. But the Lemon Book. grateful that y'all would have me on. This is a of lot course. of fun. Of course. And we
1: will include um, that link and also a link to follow Gerald on his social media as well.
0: The book is called When Life Gives You Lemons. It's now available on all platforms as of June 15th. And we're going to give away a copy. So all you have to do to get a copy of this book is follow us on our Instagram at Gen Y podcast. That's G-E-N-W-H-Y podcast. And we're going to be doing a giveaway on our Instagram right there.
1: And if you can't wait to win, we are also including a Amazon link in our show notes where you can click on that and it'll take you right to the book.
0: That's right. And make sure you use the link that is in our show notes to do that. Guys, I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it was challenging as well. It was certainly challenging for us. Um, This is humanity at stake, and it's worth the conversation. It's worth being uncomfortable. So, wade into the waters
1: and at the generation y podcast our whole goal is to ask questions and to admit that we don't have all the answers and talk to people who do so we're with you in this and uh, we just we call you to join us in this time of reflection and action
0: and we can't wait to see you guys next week but in the meantime go ahead and subscribe that will make sure that you don't miss any episodes and also leaving us a review will help other people find this show. So we appreciate you guys and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Generation Y podcast.